Hey guys, this is Emmett. I am here with your latest episode of Exhaust, your weekly podcast about why nothing feels possible anymore. Today I've got one first-time guest and one return guest who make up Space Commune, the video and podcast channels, which you can find on YouTube and wherever podcasts are found, I believe. That is uh, Fox and Alex. What's up? Welcome, guys. Hey. Up, Emmett? Really happy to have you both here. There's a pretty quick turnaround between when Fox was here last and having you both here now, but the new, basically, documentary you guys created on your channel was uh, so good, I could not resist. <laughs> um, it was really Fox's thing, you. but yeah, oh, okay. it was good. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's... Yeah, Alex, read I mean, the chat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a fan. Yeah, you, you, you help. You helped out a lot with a lot of little like. I looked. I listened to a lot of footage to like give you the, the yeah. good spicy yeah. nuggets in there. Don't, yeah. don't sell yourself short. Yeah. Well, that's sort of like Trent Reznor's thing, right? Like him and uh, that guy he worked with all the time now on movie soundtracks. I forget his name. Uh, but apparently Trent just sits there and creates a bunch of stuff, and then walks out of the studio. <laughs> and then that guy like arranges it and edits huh. it. And like, that's how they were. He's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah all this stuff is good. This other stuff. Bah. Yeah. <laughs> Get rid of that. <laughs> You know, so it's sort of the creator and then like the editor thing. It's very rare to get both in one person. Usually you need one or more people to pull that. Yeah, out. Alex and I have been working together since that's like how we met is we we, um, we met in a marketing department in a, a hospital and um, he's more of like the writer kind of linear thinker. And I'm I'm like the crazy creative kind of like art, the art, artsy fartsy one who's the artist, like, the artist. <laughs> Who is like, yeah, a little less refined, a little, <laughs> little less from the like. <laughs> I mean, Alex went to like a went to like private college, four year college, and I'm like the art school dropout. <laughs> yeah, Fox Fox has an eight thousand IQ, extremely big brand. <laughs> an eight thousand IQ. Yeah. For a second, I was like, wait, that's really low, right? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah they're great in iqs on a curve these days um but uh yeah so the documentary that you guys put out was called consumerism can we buy a better world right yeah um, or something like that which hit a lot of notes that i'm familiar with in terms of the entire 60s like degrowth pessimistic green mm-hmm. ideology and then it took it in some surprising places so before we like get into the weeds with this i was wondering if you guys could like just walk through the premise of the video and why you felt the need to put it out there sure so the idea behind it is that it's sort of the, the beginning, the intro is talking about how there's this collapse, this, this impending doom, right? We keep getting these messages specifically from people like Greta Thunberg of like, you know, the t- time's up, we have no time left and the world is ending and the world, you know, we, we're in, in the middle of an ecological collapse and um, lots of just like doomsday messages that we get all the time from mainstream media. And so, of course, the reaction from regular people is... I mean, even if you're not thinking about just environmental stuff, even just, you know, economic stuff, just the world is, the world is out of control, right? That's the message. So 
people want to kind of answer that question of like, how can I make the world a better place? What can I do? So that's sort of this, this, um, this meme, this message that you hear all the time is like, uh, how, how can we make the world a better place? Um, and that's, that's sort of the subtitle of it. Can we buy a better world? So it's, it's trying to answer this question of, can we buy a better world through this, you know, this paradigm of uh, consumerism, right? And consumerism is sort of the thing that ties together, I think, a lot of the disparate kind of ideas. Because um, throughout the video, we kind of hear through different, we hear the perspective of different um, influencers and they kind of seem like they're all, they all have their kind of own angle to how they would make the world a better place. And, and I think the, the through line is this idea of consumerism and obviously like, you know, capitalism, some people say ca capitalism's bad. Some people say it's not so bad. It's just the way it's been, been leveraged. So it's kind of exploring this idea of how can we make the, the world a better place with this thing, this idea of consumerism, right? So that's it without, yeah. sp without going too deep and spoiling anything. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I highly recommend everybody, everybody watch it, of course. Um, and I guess like what was surprising to me about looking at that is that I kept thinking about um, conversation we had with Kyung Min Sun months ago on his book, uh, The Eclipse of the Demos, which is sort of like a deeper history of the neoliberal instinct. And he locates it before the 70s um, by a lot. And that it was really a response to both uh, the expansion of the social state, but also the expansion of democracy that some felt that that entailed. And one of the things that we ended up talking about with him was about how uh, America became, as one historian put it, uh, a consumer's republic. Hmm. Right. There's this great interaction between Nixon and a Russian head of state. I forget who he is, where he's like, you know, Americans can choose their politicians the way they choose, like the color of their fridge or something mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? Which you can there see like the equation of consumerism. So when I look at this ideology that comes out of the 60s that you guys so well identify of like, um, you know, people recognize it from the gap red thing, you know, buy a pair of jeans, it goes to help someone in Africa or the Tom yep. shoes yep. Yep. or the Starbucks, like eco coffee stuff they were doing for a while. All of ben that. And Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, right. This all fits yeah. under that bracket. Is that just like my hot take is that punk rock was really postmodern Jeffersonianism that like <laughs> was the mirror of the Reaganism it was combating. Mm -hmm. uh, so is the green consumerism with the American imperial consumerism that was being yeah. created in the 50s and 60s, right? Like these ideologies, as you lay them out, really don't seem that separate from each other. Right. It's on a continuum kind of, you know, some people say like, well, we need to, you know, send our money to after starving children in Africa because our money goes further with them. Some people say, well, no, we need to make our work the work that we do, it needs to be good. Um, and some people say we need to just consume less. Um, and yeah. so it goes, goes in all these different directions and, and it, it's never, it's always um, the idea of like changing the way we produce things and the ownership of production is never called into yeah. question in any of these scenarios. That's all, you know, you know, said and done, and we can't change that. 
all we can do is change, like you're just saying, uh, we're consumer citizens, right? And I, there's there was an angle that I did that I was researching that I didn't even get to touch on in this video, but there is a push by a lot of sort of uh, neoliberal think tanks to kind of push people away from being consumer citizens and to being, you know, just I forget even what the term is. I got to bring it up, but Alex, you sound like you wanted to say something. Why don't you cut in? Oh, was, uh, the other dimension is localism. So mm -hmm, other yeah. people think that if you invest money locally, that's the solution versus the Af you know, do sending it to Africa or sending it to national movements. I mean, there seems to be like an interesting combination of perspectives and ideologies that that cohere right here, right? Like when I take a first blush at it, somebody is sort of anemic, uninspiring, and perhaps facile as Peter Singer, doesn't really seem to wed well with the hyper emotivism of something like what you guys uncover as the commitment to anti-Wetikoism, which is something <laughs> we should probably talk about. So like, how do these things come together? Well, it's funny because I feel like Peter Singer's, and this is kind of how I laid out the, the NPIC video where it was like, Micah White was like, oh, he, this guy's obviously ridiculous, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it was like Peter Singer, like, he's obviously ridiculous. This guy can't take, you can't take this guy seriously. He's, mm -hmm. he's kind of a joke, but he, he comes from that sort of like Richard Dawkins, like atheist kind of hyper kind of rational, rational. My, my, guy, my guy's doing a rationality. Yeah. And he's a utilitarian <laughs> yeah, philosopher, right? Right. So right. That's yeah. really important and a specific kind right? Like who's strictly interested in ethical morals. questions yeah. and is really not, or morals and not, and uses those to talk about the political. The political does not exist as its own domain for him as far yeah. as I understand it. Right. And he's, he's the father of basically the vegan movement. People yell at me and say, no, he's not. There's other people, but he, he wrote this book in 1975, I think called Animal Liberation, which has really been like the backbone of the modern vegan movement. And veganism is like another kind of touch point that I didn't even really get into in this video, but that ties back to the ecological movements, right? And the consumer movements, because a lot of, a lot of the um, left ecological movements will say deciding to go vegan is what you can do to try to help save the planet and make mm -hmm. the world better. Yes, the Starship so. Troopers. I'm doing my part. Right. <laughs> uh, for climate change. Yeah. Right. So tell me if I have this right. When I look at it, I say, okay, we're going to get rid of the political as a domain of interrogating this, right? So we're going to maybe do a conflation of individual ethos with public activity. Those things might be related and not entirely discrete, but we're just going to obliterate that. And that seems to be part of what Peter Singer, as you lay him out, is doing, where it's like, okay, what should we do to get this amount of happiness? Who should mm -hmm. you give your money to? Blah, 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 right? This is all your individual ethical choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we look at an environmental movement that is very interested in almost the inner life of the people who adhere to it. It is a romanticism in search of an ethics. Yeah. So it goes out and it finds this type of consumerism as its ethics, which looks a lot like Etsy, I guess, as you yeah. lay it out. Yeah. 
Etsy is such a fascinating case study too, because they really were one of these early, um, you know, gig working platforms, big Silicon Valley gig working platforms before there was even like Uber or, you know, any of these like food delivery ones. Etsy was like the first one. And I think there's something about the, about creative work that kind of is very easy to exploit because it's, it's hard to put a hard value on intellectual and creative work. Whereas if you're, if you're trading like food, that's like a hard commodity. Yeah. Whereas if, if you're like creating something artistic, it's like, how, how can you put a value on that? So it's, it's easier for like creative workers to kind of get shafted in the economy totally. and not be able to sort of fight for their own value within the capitalist structure. So Etsy is this, this interesting, um, and the funny thing too, is I think I made a lot of people hate that guy, Matt Stinchcomb <laughs> and I feel bad. Cause like the guy, he's probably like a nice guy. Uh, he seems like, like a sweetheart. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's sort of like, he's very like charming. a little bit dumber in a bag of hammers, to be honest. Like, yeah. you hear him talk. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, he's like their head of marketing guy. And he's, yeah. he looks like he's just, his clothes are just about to fall apart like midway through <laughs> his video. He's just sort yeah. of like disheveled and can't really get it together. He's like an anti-charisma that I think disarms yeah. people. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the guy probably had the best of intentions with like, he was like, Oh yeah. Etsy is kind of evil. Also, <laughs> you know, even though we're trying to like, and Etsy is like a microcosm of it too. Right. Where they were saying, oh, the way we fix capitalism is by just creating these small economies where we can care about the, the makers and this and that and the other. But instead, it, it just, it turns it on its head and it, it actually, this, the decentralization the of the work and the, it creates a more precarious working situation that actually makes it a lot harder for, for workers to unionize to get benefits. I mean, these people who are creating stuff on Etsy have like no guarantees. They're not, it's just an army of, you know, contractors. Yeah. Um, it's about creating new, new markets. Yeah. Because w at some point uh, the, the efficiency and all the, uh, the benefits of having a big centralized thing uh, run out and then they have to like create this new thing that is like, it's a bit, it's, it's small as beautiful, but it's like the big version of that. And it yeah. creates all these like millions of like micro markets within it. And yeah, that was big platform, that was small planet. beauty. That's the, exactly. part of the, the yep. way it works. Yeah. I mean, that's what was so funny to me about watching this Stinchcomb guy. Right. So we're trying to tie together like the like utilitarian perspective and this eco perspective. And then this sort of, which all the smallest beautiful thing. This all seems to revolve around guys like Schumacher and Paul Ehrlich, who was really interested in like eugenics and population control and mm -hmm. things like that. And so much of this stuff feels like super dated. It's like, we really just never left 1968. Yeah. Like when Stinchcomb holds up the first advertisement he made for Etsy, yeah. it's a screen print of a child throwing a brick at a factory <laughs> Right. And it says end mass production. And I was like, what is this, 1955? <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is such a dated complaint. Yeah. Like, and the extent to which that mass produced things have gotten to such a high level that you can customize them 
before they're sent to you, right? Like Converse does this, all of this. Mm. They've sort of like solved for that problem, whether yeah. doing limited runs or like having customizable options, you know, or like whatever. I'm like, what? So what's the problem here? Because right. it used to be that everything was the same. That was the problem yeah. with mass production, right? right? All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. Like if there's ever an indictment of sort of the post-war consensus, uh, yeah. aesthetically, it's Pink Floyd's The Wall. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. That we're all just, yeah, going to be just the same. And we all have to wear like our uh, state's issued uniform with no colors on it. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're all going to blink in unison, like on oh, the Simpsons. Right. Like also, the prisoner, right. There's that awesome uh, Iron Maiden song about it. <laughs> also, a, lot of, a lot of people would love to have some mass production in their town. Like all the, fa- all the fucking factories are closed now. Yeah. yeah. They got sent somewhere else. Right. Right. Like that's it's not, like, people would love to have some mass production where you could like go work for 20 or 30 years and actually have like a decent living. Yeah, family wage or we have to start a counter way. movement of uh, big is beautiful, right? <laughs> right. Size matters. Yeah, size matters. <laughs> size yeah. queens. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, so I mean, this is this is the disturbing thing here, right? Because part of how this works at a psychologically coercive level, which you guys like found, I don't know how you found it, but it was that those clips of that uh like 1960s, 1970s, like uh, beware of cults. This uh, is how Fo- they work. Fox has shown me that video like a hundred times. My- <laughs> like, every I couple of months, he's like, "Oh, check out this video. Isn't this crazy?" <laughs> and, like I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Like I've seen yeah. it so many times, but it was I'm a little obsessed for that, with it. For that part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was astounding, right? Uh, they really. Um, yeah, it's sort of like the Dennis system for cults. Great <laughs> <Yeah>. entirely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Inspire hope, separate entirely. Yeah. 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 And what they do is they sort of uh, hook you in with these apocalyptic visions of the future. Yeah. Right. Um, and that really narrows your thinking. Like that's sort of its jobs to put blinders on right. how you conceive of the problem. Yep. Right? Nurture dependence. Right. <laughs> 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 it really is the dentist. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I should have included that in the video. Oh uh, shit. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, that's what they do. Right. So, cause when you're scared, yeah. right. You, the way somebody put it to me, and this this was like one of those things where you're having coffee with somebody and they change your life, you know, which is by with an offhand remark. I was mm. talking with a friend about some other thing, and he said, you know, when you're really scared, you don't rise to the occasion; you default to your most basic training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens with the environmental movement. You know, it doesn't yeah. really supply you with a working understanding of you know, engineering or like how these things really work or anything like that. What it supplies you with is a narrative to which you default whenever you encounter any new information, which is that the world's going to end so that you can take solutions or ideas off the table. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very related to all the, um, who's that, who's that uh, guy that did all those documentaries that was Adam, Adam, Adam Curtis. Curtis. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. all that, all the. And values. then a strange thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> what they didn't what realize. What they didn't realize was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that guy. 
He, uh, all the value stuff. I mean, people have been like working on this for so long about how to like break down people to their, their base instincts and how to get people to, to do a desired action and how to like placate people into going along with something. And I mean, there's some, there's something about the environmental movement as, as the video shows, like with the uh, extinction rebellion strategy about how you only need 3.5% of the population. And it's really interesting because like it's the moral aristocracy argument. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's only, it's, if you look at a lot of this stuff, and a lot of the venues and a lot of the, the places where these conversations happen, they're all elite spaces. It's an elite theory of change. They're trying to get like a frequent flyers club or like some, some kind of elite group of people to really drive this thing. And then the rest of the population just has to like either be indifferent or have a, a basic acceptance of it. But that 3.5% they're going after, like it, this shit really is like, it's micro targeted to them. It cuts through everything about them to, to guilt them into taking some extreme actions or some uh, just to have this like this uh, moral uh, clarity where they're, they're going to like burn down everything to pursue what they think is the truth. Wait, and you know what I just thought scary. of Alex is when we were talking to the socialism train guys who both ran for office and one of them worked for, um, for Bernie and uh, we were talking about how like each election cycle, it's always like, Oh, there's no time. You know, you just have to yeah. vote for this, like pe- this guy who's a piece of shit and everyone knows he's a piece of shit, but he's, he's a slightly worse, better piece of shit than the other guy. And there's just, there's no time. We have to yeah. do this now. And we're always in that, in the election cycle, there's never like a, yeah. a time when we're in an election where we're like, okay, we've thought about everything. <laughs> we've, <laughs> then, we've, you know, taken yeah. our time and figured it out, but it's the same. It's I the love same the idea that months, there's yeah. no time in the American fucking election cycle for president too. That shit lasts yeah. like three and a half years. At this yeah. time. <laughs> it's know. like, there's no time to what go through the 90 primaries. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever, like, no, we got time. I mean, yeah. So urgency is a big part of it. Right. I mean, it's sort yeah. of, it reminds me of the Mark Twain, uh, a quote. I'm going to paraphrase, but he says that it's easier to fool someone than to convince them that someone has fooled them. Hmm. You saw that True. on Twitter yesterday. I yeah, that's right. I did. Yeah, I retweeted it. It was good. It was a good quote. Yeah, it's a great quote. I mean, that's sort of yep. how the dynamic works, right? You just like put people in this ditch, and of course, that redounds to people that have power already. People of means. People like mm-hmm. Peter Buffett. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who is now what a decade into terraforming your town in new york kingston we've talked about it on the show before with fox but your documentary eventually like all roads lead back to kingston so many of these people these like <laughs> lean logic and like yeah. anti-watico people are just living off the fat of the land in 501c3s in kingston new york oh and there's a lot of fat yeah the ex- etsy guy <laughs> what's his name uh kirk Matthew Kirk, is that his name? Martin, Martin Kirk. Yeah. Martin Kirk, yeah. We have another uh, Silicon Valley guy here too, uh, Dennis Crowley, who started Foursquare. He lives here too, but he's not. Was Foursquare the thing where you'd like check in? Yeah. 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 I never got into it. Yeah, yeah me neither. Yeah, never was, understood it. I, I remember like getting they, it and I was like, wait, what do I do? Yeah, I think they like licensed. They they probably like licensed out that technology to other platforms because it seems yeah. like it's rolled into other, yeah, other yeah, apps. Yeah. It now. became other things. Yeah, 
Yeah. But yeah, it's bizarre. There's a lot of like weirdly important people here, (laughs) but there's a lot of like regular like people too. Um, Well, right. It's the tale of two Kingstons, right? So why don't you walk through like how this ideology is like basically being realized in Kingston right now? What does that look like as you know, you guys live there? I know one or both of you own homes there. It's got to be fucking wild to basically see a bunch of carpetbaggers roll into your town with uh, billions of dollars. Well, it's half and half. It's like this, it's a group of people moving in. And also it's, uh, it's also rooted in that um, there were a number of projects here, just like any town, any town has, you know, groups of civic minded people that put on like little like, events or maybe they do a little mutual aid or maybe they do a like campaign to save the uh save the old uh, the old man's church or whatever they whatever they call yeah, it yeah the rotary um, club whatever yeah yeah uh, so, yeah so th- there was like some of that stuff going on already um and then you know he bought a farm up here and the the, the thing is like you I think one of the defenses about it is that like, Oh, a lot of the stuff was happening already before he came here. But uh, the thing is like the money means that it's, it's almost like uh, it's both small as beautiful, but it's also too big to fail mm-hmm. uh, because he's, he's walked away from so many other things to focus all of his efforts and like pop, what may end up being like a billion dollars to make this like some kind of breakaway or self completely self sustaining like ecosystem community so a lot of these initiatives like some of them are just like maybe they should they should have stopped doing them or they they would have stopped doing them if the funding didn't come in but now like almost no one can admit that like oh maybe some of these things aren't like the top priority right now yeah but the fact that there's the money and the fact that nobody is a lot nobody can really do like the the kind of criticism or um introspection where like oh you know what that thing that those guys are doing that like is causing all these other problems or, you know, maybe like we should spend our time on something else. Nobody's nobody can do that because to do that is tantamount to saying that once you do that, you're opening a, a Pandora's box where it's like, uh, maybe everything is not that great of idea, <laughs> or maybe, maybe the people making the decisions don't really know what they're doing. And that's like very scary. So th- there's, I mean, there's been an underlying anxiety whether or not Fox made the video or whether or not this tablet article came out, there's yeah, been this Sean underlying Cooper, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. I mean, people are worried that the IBM thing is going to happen again. Right. That's what I took away from the Sean Cooper piece. So that seemed like a, a real fear, you know, yeah. was that IBM left it f- fucked Kingston, you know, right. and now they have, they're dependent on this sole figure again. Yep. Right. And that's frightening. I mean, anybody who's lived, so I know we have some listeners because they have personally corresponded with me that live in towns like Kingston, you know, and are watching its prospects diminish every day. Mm. Um, And I'm sure they can imagine what would happen if somebody rolled in with a ton of money and did sort of this lopsided revitalization. I'm sure they can imagine how they themselves, you know, as I might be in that situation, unwilling to criticize it if it meant that, maybe me and some of my neighbors um, got a shot at a future in a place that didn't seem to be offering me one. 
Right. Right. No, it's, it's tricky. Cause yeah, a lot of, I mean, <laughs> trickle down doesn't fucking work, but it, mm-hmm. to a degree, you know, like some people are getting some of their needs met and you don't want to just totally shit on that. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the irony of it is that Peter's whole thing is that he wants to create, he wants to create something that's sustainable. He doesn't fund things that supposedly aren't sustainable to him, but yeah, this like is an old folks. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you, he can't, there's nothing he can do that's sustainable because it's just coming from the top down, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just, I, I don't know. He's trying, he's trying to like plant seeds that will turn into like <laughs> a better world. Well, I don't, I think it best um, to give him sort of like best faith. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Go ahead, Alex. Well, yeah, the, the uh, the problem is is that the the standard here is a little different. I think I think what what most people are willing to do is give the benefit of the doubt that he's just trying some stuff out and he just wants to like fund folks who are doing good work and uplift the good work and give it a, a platform and all that stuff. And maybe if enough if enough people uh, go all in, you know, that we'll have something here. Uh, but it's completely divorced from the development of like class consciousness and people reacting to their material conditions and deciding what they're, what is the best thing for all of us to do together to like protect the community or do whatever, you know, do whatever the priorities are because what's happened is that uh, he's funding all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of it can be quantified that like it is helping some people and it is producing X amount of, pounds of food and x number of meals and all that stuff but the uh as soon as covid hit like the real estate prices went up more here than any other place in the country because it's uh, on some level uh people can see that this is like a, a not a prepper place exactly but it's a place where people are well-resourced people are going to go because they know that there's gonna be nice stuff here that there's gonna be farms and this kind of yeah, it's golf, community golf, right? ethos yeah so none of this stuff is raising people's uh, consciousness to be able to fight back against that. All the only thing that the only move that we have here in Kingston, or one or one trick that we can do, is to build alongside of the gentrification and the like, stuff coming in. There's no there's no actual um, there's no actual uh, competency being built to demand that like oh actually you know. Uh, we're already here. We, we like our lives and like, we want to have a say in like what happens here in the future. There's none of that. Like people don't believe they have a say or a right mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to say anything. Well, it's interesting. It seems not just against like what, yeah, the leftist idea of like wanting to cultivate class consciousness towards a more democratic impulse that would benefit the majority of people within the town, but also against the traditional, like liberal entrepreneurial ethos, like you said, too big to fail, right? So there, it's coming from the largesse of this uh, billionaire. He likes to fancy himself a multimillionaire, you know, uh, so that he can really slum it with the rest of us. Uh, doesn't have to feel too guilty, but you know, he's got a billion dollar foundation and some of these things, like you said, maybe they should have gone away. 
gotten mothballed or turned into right. something else or whatever, but that money has come in. So in other words, there's, there's not even this old like liberal civic society and economic idea of right. try and fail mm-hmm. and that type of thing. It right. is path dependence on that. And I think that that's part of how you guys pivot into this discussion in the video of like the neo-feudal society. Right. Mm-hmm. So you take from Joel Kotkin, who like Mike Lind and a few other people sort of or maybe Christopher Lash, like straddle the right left mm-hmm. divide in American mm-hmm. thought or who have straddled that divide and have a nice pairing with the Communist Manifesto about the piety of poverty. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the, how that was well to the degrowth idea. But where this is going is like Kingston, to me, seems like one of the futures in the running we mm-hmm. can see for America, especially for yep. like small towns that are easily captured by this. How does living in that type of environment like play out in your guys' lives? Because you're highly critical of this, but Kingston is like what sub 25k people, yeah, you know? 23,000. Uh, so I'm sure that um, a lot of people, because of their fears and concerns, both uh, private and public, uh, aren't necessarily happy with YouTube releasing videos no. like this. No, so, what does that mean for you guys? It does not help our social lives whatsoever. <laughs> This is why we make a podcast now so we can like talk to people outside of Kingston because <laughs> <laughs> people fucking hate us. No. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's tough to be the, the, the sort of person who's saying, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Like, you know, and I, I've been kind of critical of this stuff for a long time and not because I'm just like a hater, but just because I don't know. I'm just like, wait, you guys, do we really want to be doing this? Like just sort of pointing out kind of the flaws and things. And I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of like socially retarded about like (laughs) knowing what I should like know my place and like say, Oh no, you can't say that to those people. Like you kind of have, there's like a pecking order here. So I mean, you lack a certain political instinct is what you're telling me (laughs) that. that, Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm naturally not a very like cater to other, you know, cater mm-hmm. to the power structure kind of person. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing is that the, uh, what was happening was palpable um, by like 2018. I mean, that was the year when like the money really started to flow. They, the experiment has been going on, let's say for like five years, but 2018, like three years ago, it's really starting to flow. And there are things happening in the community that just were inexplicable that it was like, why, why is that group warring with that group? Or why, why won't that group, uh, you know, advocate for this thing? Um, you know, why, why do, why is this person like everywhere, but nobody knows who they are? Like, it was like all this weird stuff was happening and, uh, it was only possible to find out why until 2020 when the 990 for the Nova foundation came out and it was like, Oh, Holy shit. $60 million came in that year. The whole city's budget is like 45 million. So essentially it's like, it's this money, like the, also the city's budget, you know, any city, uh, most of it is already spoken for. It's all stuff that's been like in place for decades or centuries where it's like, oh, you have the fire budget, the police budget, the garbage and all that stuff. So like the money that a city can actually dole out to different initiatives is like a few million dollars. And people, you know, it's a big deal. Like it's our tax money and people fight over it. Like there can be like blood on the floor of a city council meeting over $10,000, you know, because uh, Mm -hmm. it matters. It's like, 
$10,000 can make something happen. Maybe. Right. That's why the people in Buchanan are fucking terrified because Indian point closed and half their tax base went with it. Yeah. It's like, exactly. there are 13,000 people. What are yeah. you going to do? You know, like when the bottom falls out like that. So you have this big influx now, and I'm sure that that has made things weird in what used to be, albeit heated, pretty pedestrian local politics. Right. Well, now it's created the conditions for like, well, if you want, if you want something, have, oh, has, have you presented this, your ideas to Peter yet? You know, that's always, <laughs> that's the question now that everyone's asking. Oh, well, has anyone brought a, like, uh, there's a gentrification group, the discussion group where, you know, the more civically engaged people here in Kingston talk, um, it's kind of lopsided. It's very taken over by like the, the neoliberal developer, you know, very liberal leaning developer types, but um, yeah, somebody raised a question just today or yesterday and was like, has, um, just out of curiosity, has anyone brought, you know, a housing plan to, uh, to Peter and, and like, you, you know, you can't, you, they don't even, they, you can't solicit ideas to Peter. You have to be like asked to yeah. like give him your ideas. So it's kind of this weird, like, I don't know yeah. if the person who asked that question even knows that or not. I hope people ask these questions because it can't just be me and Alex like pointing this. Yeah. Out. And I don't, and I don't think it will be anymore, which is uh, yeah. very, I think it's freeing because uh, you know, they're very, they're very interested in making it seem like it's like a personal beef or something where it's like, Oh, you just don't like Peter. You just don't like rich people. It's like, uh, no, you, you guys are just like destroying our democracy you know, yeah. you're giving up on like the idea of, ma of of a mass politics and you want to gaslight the world into thinking that you have a playbook uh, to revitalize small communities. Because if, if this is successful, it's going to happen everywhere. You know, they're going to have a playbook where it's like, oh, you know, uh, one one path forward for small towns is that uh, you can attract like a philanthropist or a foundation and ask them for a radio station, a community currency a food co-op and tell everyone to grow potatoes and tomatoes in their yards. Uh, and that's the playbook for like sustainability. And that's, and that's going to enable austerity in a lot of places because mm -hmm. then it's like, Oh, well the people have these things now that are like, they have this gentry elite. Yeah. Right. Who will dole out his tithings yeah. to uh, the mot that right. lives just outside his Bailey. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's about like the, the person doling it out is saying like, Oh, well, I know what brings real happiness. I already have all the money in the world. I know what it takes to be happy. You guys don't actually need the, the aspirations that you have are wrong. You guys actually need to be working the land and you need uh, to hear stories reflected back to you by people that look and sound like you. And uh, you need, you know, to barter and like, yeah. You know, I think that's, that's the most insidious part of all this is that it really feels like the goal is to kind of undermine and erode pub like public government. And um, that's really scary to me because then, you know, we've or they've already set up all these like mutual aid bartering type things. And then it's like, okay, so if I, in the future, in the future, if I need something, I have to like go to the person who has the thing that I need and hope that they like me enough to want to like share some with me, you know, like everything is, is reliant on this social, um, social capital economy, which, 
is really terrifying to me as somebody who, like I just said, is not a congenital the, gadfly such as yourself. The most <laughs> socially, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think you can understand like what was exciting to the insurgent bourgeois class about what capitalism was going to offer them. Mm. Right. And it was to exit the exact arrangement that you've just described. Right. Right. Because you would have allegedly, let's say the medium of money that would dissolve the social bonds that locked people out of access to that. Now money has its own social bond problems that can lock people out of access, but at least it wasn't dependent on a personal relationship in the same way. It it was, it added like a layer of neutrality almost. Right. Right. And I think bringing up the mediator, (laughs) the money part is a really interesting angle to bring up because that's a big thing that these, these types of folks bring up is that money, money is the problem, Mm -hmm. you know, like as if the money itself is the problem. It's not. Money doesn't fucking matter. And it's going to matter less and less in the future. You know, we have things like cryptocurrencies and local currencies and all kinds of stuff because it like the money doesn't matter. What matters is who holds the resources and the power and the, and the private property and like money doesn't fucking matter. So they're going to, they focus their energy on like, well, we need to get rid of money. Mm-hmm. Well, fuck. Like we're kind of fucked. Cause just like you brought up like the one it almost provided a little neutral layer i mean obviously it didn't solve the problems but getting rid of it is actually no but i think that was part of what marx found so fascinating about capital is that it could provide the smithy of finance in which social formations could be reformed Mm. and he thought that those contradictions would eventually exhaust themselves and turn into something else and brains to be seen if you'll be right about that but yeah. importantly, he recognized its power in departing from older forms of political togetherness via a shift in mode of production. Yeah. Right. What's freaky about this is that it seems to be importing power structures of the past into new modes of control society. So you guys have talked about, we were talking before we started recording about how um, it's been a little tough for you guys in Kingston in the past week because this, uh, because Sean Cooper's tablet piece came out mm-hmm. and people immediately associated you guys with it because you've been mm-hmm. critical of the regime. Um, <laughs> and uh, it aired a lot of dirty laundry and seems to yeah. have really kicked a hornet's nest. And one of oh, the yeah. things that I pointed out is that there seemed to be parity between your online life where Peter Buffett's very active on Facebook <laughs> and you're walking around meat space life in your actual small town. I mean, it seems like that is the, an iteration of the patchwork society that Moldbug articulates, right? A small fiefdom of land run by a techno elite that has people jumped into um, a social system with strict structures, but locks in paternalistic features. Yeah. That's a perfect summarize. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome I mean, to Kingston. Yeah, welcome to Kingston, motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah, so like you said that it might not just be you guys critiquing this um, now that these things have come out, now that this article has come out, now that yeah. you've started to voice more of it. Are you finding like-minded people? And here's the critical question to me. Are they going all the way in their critique? Are they like, we would mm-hmm. like this just done a little bit better? Or are they like, I am starting to understand the ways in which these things are 
bound together in an ideology that's affecting our town, right? The second one's a pretty big ask for people, yeah. right? But well, I'm just curious. I've seen some people, I think people are mostly concerned so far about, okay, like I have an idea for something or I know something's a problem. And so far it's been impossible because I don't have access to money. I don't have access to the expertise to do this. Uh, how do I, how do I ask them for money? And then they find out there's no way. And then the wheels start turning. So I, I've seen some people, I think people are mostly concerned about how do they get access to it? And it remains to be seen where, where it goes from there. It's going to take a long time. We're not, we're not going to be the ones personally to like tell everyone what to think, but like people need, people are going to go through that thought process. And I hope that um, they're going to, th they're going to realize like, Oh, wait a second. So all these other things got funded and they seem to share some kind of ideology. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear about this ideology until like they were years into it and it's everywhere now. So I think probably the conservative political space is going to be where that is mostly aired. I'm already seeing it there. I have a feeling it's going to be uh, an issue in the local elections this year, because another element is that Novo is basically very closely tied into the government and kind of Novo is the state and the state is Novo. Like yeah. there's a lot and of it's, interplay. And it's, and it's very liberal in its ideology, yeah. right? Yep. So I'm sure that uh, your neighbor who has, fuck you if you voted for Joe Biden, <laughs> fuck him too, has a lot of Good memory. Um, oh yeah. Is, uh, is more than happy to fuck someone up in the primaries and get a, a redder candidate in. Yeah. If possible. Yeah, I, there's there's definitely a lot more hope amongst the conservatives, you know, the, the Trump fans, the former QAnon people. I, actually, one of the few people who reached out to me before the tablet article came out and was like, oh, I really loved your video was a, a QAnon person mm -hmm. <laughs> they in, got Kingston. in Kingston and they got booted off of Twitter and during the, you know, the purge after the purge, one six. Yeah which yeah. is sad because I wish I actually connected with them, which I didn't. They were just anonymous, but um, I, they only, they only see kind of like half the picture, but I, you know, at least they're critical. So they're, they're a lot more critical of, you know, the billionaires and that's one well, of the things that's, that's crazy, yeah. right? Like they're critical to an extent, right? Like right. we'll, we'll say that there are limits on that. Yes. But one of the things that's been really interesting to see is that, there are ways in which conservatives right now, and even over the course of Trump, so let's say for the past few years, even when their guy, quote unquote, was in office or whatever, they're coming to conclusions that it seemed like it took decades to get people on the left to get to. Mm, and they're already yeah. like there with some of them. They're just like, oh yeah, they're just trying to reprogram our whole social life and we should destroy them. And I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> 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 um, yeah well i think because they believe more in the idea of capitalism as like you know having some merits to it and mm -hmm. as we're shifting toward away from capitalism and more towards a neo-feudalistic society you do start to see you know what there were some merits to to the older system that you know, obviously I'm not like a fan. I, I am not a fan of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Capitalism brought us to this point. Uh, it is a very flawed system, mm -hmm. but it's still, 
unfortunately it's better than a neo neo feudalist mm-hmm. system but ex- but like you know like i keep saying it's like we're the road for, the capitalist road led us here so that's the problem with it in the first place but i don't know the, these guys do kind of have that independent streak in them and they don't want to be controlled and that's good unfortunately, I wanna, unfortunately yeah. what seems to come with that is a certain level of anti-politics Right. It seems to be very ingrained, like certain conservatives I've talked to and certain things I've read and like American conservative point to that where they're like, oh, wait, we don't actually like do politics, really. Like we yeah. do this other thing. And that's like a huge problem for us now because like we don't like where things are going yeah. and we need to do some fundamental changes to right. what we see happening. And watching that happen has been like a totally fascinating experience. A lot of them just stop short at like government is bad. And you know what? A lot of people on the left do that fucking too. A lot of liberals do that too. And that's, that's kind of the problem, right? Is that it's not, the government isn't just good or bad. It's a force that's, you know, acted upon from like whoever has the power. If, if, if rich people Mm -hmm. have the power, they're going to be controlling the government. If the people have the power, if the people are in control, then they're going to be running the government for their benefit. So it doesn't like, they kind of stop it like, oh, government's bad. And that's kind of as far as it gets. Right, exactly. And that's why we see these things like um, moral litmus tests for political leaders and the importance of virtue signaling, right? Mm. So if we take a look at, you know, I'm going to do like, oversimplify and maybe abuse this a little bit, but, you know, one phrase that you see banded about a lot, um, certain elements of the right who have a more classical leaning, I'm of course a classical philosophy fanboy, is the idea of the mixed (laughs) regime, right? So you would have an upper, middle and lower class, right? And for many of them, um, and it seems likely that Aristotle might've believed this himself, um, America is the best regime to the extent that it has perfected the mixed regime. But of course, all of these contradictions show up in that, which we're now seeing. But the fact that virtue signaling is so important speaks to this like classical aristocratic instinct that what's really needed to hold the mixed regime together is a moral aristocracy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, because they're the ones that are going to be charged. They're the ones that are going to lead it. Right. America has tried in several ways to figure out what it's going to do about that. Right. Right. And now it seems like the diploma meritocracy is one of the ways in which it tries to soften the hard edges of mm. the mixed regime while legitimating it. Yeah. And when I take a look at people who work in foundations, people like me and my educational background who've <laughs> been in NGO world, and I assume are like the people that show up in Kingston to work for these Novo projects. I can yep. only imagine that they have the inherited wisdom that has gone pretty unquestioned about what some yeah. of this is, right? The 3.5% you need for the change is, that affects everyone. The cathedral that everyone's talking about. So the cathedral is like a little bit different, I think, in Moldbug. I haven't like read the Curtis Yarvin, whatever is, whatever he goes by. Not to um, go off topic, but. Yeah, I think he's particularly interested in the way academia fits into that mm. and the media complex fits into that. It is basically a rearticulation of the ivory tower. Also yeah. a, a pretty interesting explication of how ideology works anyway. You know, yeah. I think that there is some value to those elements of his thought, right? Like I've certainly dunked hard on him, actually on the last episode with Micah Meadowcroft, who was writing in response to him. But 
he people read him for a reason he's interesting he's provocative i think he's a messy writer but every once in a while he has a provocative idea yeah well to go back to what you're saying i think it's a moral moral authority kind of takeover <laughs> right it's it's all about morals and i think that was a big theme in the video too is um this idea of good you know good versus bad good versus evil you know um effective altruism uh the the good place so Mm -hmm. you know i used clips from the good place which is a show based on inspired by written by michael schur inspired by the work of um, peter singer um and then you know the good work (laughs) the good work institute um which is inspired by E.F. Schumacher's good, you know, book, Good Work. Um, and then even go, go boiling down to like Watiko, you know? Uh, oh yeah, explain Watiko. So we've used that phrase a few times. <laughs> that was like one of the most insane yeah, right? things that I've come across. And it's like, I mean, it's just astounding. Do you mind? Isn't it wild? It? Yeah. Isn't do, it you, wild? do you mind if I had never, never heard of it? Peter Buffett was like, you know, in the comment section of my video from last year, the nonprofit industrial complex. And he, he wrote that thing that I said, that quote that I said um, about like, you know, we're all infected by Watiko and Watiko is just like, <laughs> it's, I guess it originated from like, you know, native American theology or whatever. And um, it's one of those things that when you say it, like articulate what Peter Buffett <laughs> means, like it makes you feel racist. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's basically so it's like a mind virus. It's it's when your your mind is just like poisoned, I guess. <laughs> it's so it's so like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's about uh, pathologizing. Yeah people so capitalism might not necessarily be bad it's because all the people in capitalism are infected with fatico the powerful right. people and but also a lot of the you know the working class too so it's like this it's this uh, ideology that kind of legitimizes social control and like propaganda where it's like everyone needs to be disciplined into de-waticoizing yeah and you can then see how be it better. maps. You can see how it maps perfectly onto like anti-racism too. Yeah, but yeah, and it's like a justification where it's like, oh well, Wall Street. You know, if Wall Street executives and uh, hedge funds, if they de-boutiqueized, but we changed nothing else, then things are going to get better. It's a, it's the same. It's the same exact thing as anti-racism. Yeah, and or like decolonizing is is. A more yeah. popular term and that's a little bit more palatable i think to like regular people is this idea of decolonizing but it's literally like diwitiko they're diwitikoizing that's really what it is that's why right. i sort of wrote that on top of the right. book because you know peter he basically helped publish this book for written by this uh, you know a native american dude who is you know an, an ngo kind of grifter guy wrote a book called decolonizing wealth so it's Jesus the, Christ, the, the problem, <laughs> the problem with the wealth is that it's, you know, it's just, it's colonized wealth and we just have to decolonize it and then we'll be, you know, in a better society. I encountered plenty of this when I lived in Santa Fe, right? Yeah. Um, where there's the Santa Fe Institute, which seems to attract a lot of scientists and stuff like that who have all of the same degrowth fears mm. and ideas, the same type of like boomer holdovers that have retired there that like run city government and you know it's just 
it's like this unnavigable smokescreen of ideology where yeah. you, you can never really be sure that what you're talking about corresponds with the reality you're seeing. Right. And most right. people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Most people <laughs> have no idea what any of this stuff is. It's completely, it is completely uh, floating in the ether of, of that, you know, of academia and of NGOs and of people that work at NGOs. Mm-hmm. Well, it's perfect for redirecting the energy away from the, the material reality of things, right? And saying, right. no, it's it's like an essential part of who you are as a white person. You have to like de-watikoize your brain. And <laughs> I mean, that's what was the, one of the cringiest parts to me was when Stinchcomb brought that like group of indigenous people from Colombia to like sing songs for all the yeah. different vegetables and stuff like that. <laughs> like I wasn't cringing at those guys. They're just being who they are and they believe totally. what they believe or whatever. Right. Like I'm right. not going to knock that. What yeah. was cringy was the whole, like put them on display for your edification yeah. type thing. Yeah. You, you can imagine all the, like the, the like little old ladies in the audience being like, Oh, this is so wonderful. Yeah. And <laughs> Well, and all the young yeah. Novo people that like work there being like, I have to pretend to like this. Otherwise I'm racist yeah. and bad or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like just, that must've been torture. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the rent since then, the, the rent has probably doubled for uh, a normal <laughs> person in Kingston. Like four, that was four years ago or three yeah. years ago. And I mean, there's another great example there. This is the total example of this. This isn't this, this isn't a Novo thing, but it's part of the culture. So like, all these people moving here, like there's just this general culture of like sustainability and decolonizing and all that stuff. So there was uh, one of the last places in this like fancy part of Kingston where poor people, homeless people could go to get coffee and go to the bathroom was Dunkin' Donuts. It was there Mm -hmm. for a long time. Uh, So recently like the Dunkin' Donuts closed and it's part of uh, the city. Like, is, that's, is the, trying. That's, the, that's the death of East Coast greatness right there. When it I know. I know, right? Rip. Luckily, uh, so we that, have more of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're uh, they're trying to close down like all chain stores in Kingston. They're trying to like make it illegal because they, you know, local is better. Small is better. But uh, so this Dunkin' Donuts closed and it got replaced by a place called, it's like a, it's a decolonizing cacao <laughs> hot chocolate like <laughs> lab oh bro <laughs> so, like the cheapest thing you can get there is like a six dollar cacao they don't call it hot chocolate it's cacao because uh, it's decolonized and yeah. they do like decolonizing like ceremonies uh like they did one recently at at the former ibm site which is you know being groomed to be like a art washed peter buffett novo extravaganza but so like, yeah, they do like decolonizing cacao ceremonies and, you know, it's, a, it, it's certainly like decolonized no, the, and woker, but a, a poor person cannot get a cup of coffee and go to the bathroom. Like it's, right. it's not for them. Well, that's the one end- of the things that started yeah. to happen. So I lived in Brattleboro, Vermont, which is another very small, like East coast town. Right. Yeah. And this is what was really dark about reading that tablet piece, which you know, we're seeing this everywhere now is like what fentanyl's doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And where fentanyl happens, there starts to be homeless problems because people mm. get locked in to that addiction and it consumes their life. Like that's what happens. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's how that goes. Um, and now there seems to be like a new stratification of Kingston into two halves, the haves and the have nots and an uptick in that type of thing. 
And I have a feeling that the fight over the geography of Kingston will have to, a lot to do with who gets to use the bathroom mm. in these spaces, right? Yeah. I mean, I will bet you the first time someone gets Narcan in the cacao place, <laughs> there's going to be a big town hall meeting about it, right? Like, oh. and not for no reason, but like, yeah. these are the contradictions that yeah. spiral out of this. No, we have we we have an opioid crisis here. Nobody really talks about it anymore. But yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll even go into that place in the first place. But maybe you know, I mean, that's been a that's that's been an underlying you know fight here is the the people who um, are uptown in the the bougie area who are homeless. You know, the, the homelessness is growing here, and where there's you know. Wealth, where there's extreme wealth, there's also extreme poverty. Before we sign off here, because we've been going for a bit now, uh, which has been great, but I know you guys have things to move on to. Is there anything in doing this video or in your experience of living through what's happening in Kingston that we haven't got over that you want to relate to the audience? I don't know. I think I think we covered it. We can sew it up then. Guys, thank All you right. so much for being here. This was a blast. Yeah, uh, we'll likely have you on again, and I'm I look forward to whatever work you put out next. Thank you, Andy. Same, same uh, back at you. Thank you, and everybody. You <laughs> can check out all of their stuff in the show notes for the deep references. Check the bibliography; it's there every week. Stay safe out there, guys, and thanks for listening.